Greetings, comrades. This is your ghost, I mean host, Mexi. And Marine. And Ash. <laughs> and John as well. <laughs> yes. Today we have the amazing hosts of the Horror Vanguard podcast on the show to discuss Jordan Peele's second think piece, Us. And we're all very excited for this review. <laughs> So before we dive in, I'm going to shout out the patrons for this month. We have Patrick, we have No, and we have Amanda H. Thank you all so much for your very generous support. It really goes a long way, and comrades, if you have just $1 per month to spare, you can support the continuation of these podcasts. You can become a monthly patron donor at patreon.com slash veganvanguard, or you can make a one-time donation via PayPal on our website, veganvanguard.com podcast.com. And always, before we jump into the meat of our topic today, sorry, I shouldn't say meat, that's that's carnist. <laughs> before we jump into the yeah, uh, before we jump into the main themes that we'll be discussing today, I am going to read some hopeful headlines for the future from a listener who has submitted them. And as always, we really encourage all the listeners to send in their hopeful headlines for the future to any of our social media platforms, or you can email them to us at veganvanguardpodcast at gmail.com. This one is submitted by Cryptic Nonsense. And I think this is this is actually a pretty interesting one because this is not just uh, it's not just headlines, it's actually an entire paragraph that they've crafted from their future self to their former self about the way that the world is now and about uh, you know, what we need to do to get there. So I thought this was really creative. So I'm just going to read this whole paragraph and then everyone can kind of uh, give their <laughs> reactions to it. Dear past self, the cities are clean. Everyone generally respects the environment. If there is litter, someone almost always picks it up and disposes of it. It is considered taboo not to. Sensors are everywhere, but the data is used to help society, not to manipulate. Everyone makes enough to survive comfortably. Survival isn't a concern. One is concerned only with their personal goals and helping others. Voting is mandatory, but it can be done easily from anywhere. Knowledge is free and easily accessible. Healthcare is free to all. Education is free to all. Our culture views education as an eternal process. One does not stop being a student because there is always more to learn. You won't be surprised then to know that public forums in which lengthy debates are held are extremely popular. They tend to inspire coordinated action that benefits society or otherwise yield meaningful insights. Our public transportation is fast, efficient, and pollution-free. Your Japan would be jealous. I know that deep down you fear that people are fundamentally too selfish and distrusting to ever live in a sustainable post-capitalist society, but I am proof that it is possible. But you must connect with others, not just online, but in real, meaningful ways. I also know that you're afraid to stand up and make that change because you fear of the sneers of others, the eye roll and the smug denouncement, the accusation of naivety. Be sincere in your words and actions, and remember that naivety and cynicism are not mutually exclusive. Don't be distracted by cynicism, but where it can be heard, listen to criticism. It will sting, but it will also connect you to others. Be brave. Show the world how foolishly sincere you are, because they need that sincerity, whether they know it or not. This is water. You know where I'm going with this. Your influence begins from your mind. What will you focus on? How will you think about it? 
There are always endless possibilities because this is water. Believe in yourself so that you can believe in others. I'm sorry, was that too naive for you? How's the water? The end. (laughs) (laughs) That was fantastic. Yeah. That's really uplifting. Yeah, I just thought that was such a really creative uh, submission and just really thought in great detail about how everything would be and look and... Yeah, I just thought that was really uplifting. And the the idea that like we can make a society so positive that people debating in the town square leads to socially beneficial action, mm-hmm. it, that is a bold vision and I I stand. That is good. Mm-hmm. I'm 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 so here for that because as soon as as soon as I heard the phrases like popular mass debates, I just sort of like reflexively cringed. I, yeah, <laughs> I had the same I had the same reaction at first. I was like, "Oh, oh, oh no." <laughs> But but what's truly beautiful about that is that it's a future that uh, clearly Ben Shapiro has no place in. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, and I think that's I think that's wonderful. Yes, you you must be this tall to fully automate luxury <laughs> communism. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I like what the entry said about water at the end. Was that it? Felt like it was mm-hmm. channeling Adrian Murray Brown a little bit about how everything is fluid and changing, and yeah. how we are water, and how everything is is water. (laughs) That's what I thought immediately when I read it too. I was like, oh, this person must know Adrian Marie Brown. This can't be (laughs) a coincidence. There's also a really famous commencement speech by David Foster Wallace, which talks about um, the the necessary awareness that this is water, which means a kind of conscious mental engagement with who you are and what you're doing and and Mm. trying to connect sincerely with the people that are around you. Because I think one thing that's really inspiring about that is the call for sort of sincerity because we live in a deeply cynical cynical age Mm -hmm. like like on a on a part of the cultural logic of contemporary capitalism is this shameless cynicism where it will say anything to kind of perpetuate itself Mm -hmm. Uh, and i think there is there is something kind of uh inspiring and really moving about this sort of romantic call for a future of of sincere attachment Mm -hmm. Yeah, I love that. The idea of just um, complete uh, insincerity as being just the capitalist MO is is absolutely correct. <laughs> it reminds me of watching the, the fire festival video. It's kind of a tangent, but I'm, I'm work, working on the, uh, a video about the fire festival with uh, another comrade. But yeah, just how completely insincere one has to be to uh, just push forward these uh, unequal relationships of power, right? So... Anyway, yeah, just uh, very inspiring. Thank you so much to uh, Cryptic Nonsense for that. And uh, yeah, now that we're super inspired, let us dig (laughs) into the film. So Ash, would you like to give one of your famous rundowns of this film? I would absolutely love to do one of the three or four things I'm good at doing. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, This movie's incredible. Um, And and as as always, uh, spoilers... Yeah, yes. spoiler oh, yeah. shrug. This, you know, it's a, we're we're going to to critically discuss a film. So, what did you expect? Yeah, spoilerful. <laughs> I'm so glad y'all do that on your show because I I actually listened to a bunch of episodes mm-hmm. today, um, sort of like in preparation also for for this for this episode. And I I forget, I think it was the one about the movie with like the name with the the word panopticon inside. I for, I forget what it's it was called. A slasher exactly. in the panopticon, and that was. Rob Zombie? Right. 
And at the beginning, y'all are like, this is a review. If you haven't watched the film, why are you listening? <laughs> Obviously, there's going to be spoilers. And I was like, okay, great, because I was afraid we were going to do this review spoiler for oh, Absolutely not. <laughs> Speaking of that, yeah, definitely everyone go check out the Horror Vanguard podcast. I was going to mention this at the end, but let's just say it up front. It's an amazing <laughs> podcast, and Ash and John have such amazing chemistry together, and they just have so much insight, and yeah, just have really uh, piqued my interest in horror even more. I mean, I always was kind of into horror films, but not in, in a way that I was really delving into like the themes and what's behind them, and so yeah, it's definitely definitely worth a listen so check that out but anyway back to the the rundown spoilerful spoilerful welcome uh welcome to a world where the oppressed find class consciousness where the downtrodden rise up where society takes a bold step closer to equality this is the story of us mm. meet red an ambitious mother of two who takes charge and leads a revolution abraham red stoic husband and her two fun-loving children, Umbri and Pluto, who prove that kids can have fun while changing the world. <laughs> but things aren't all cheery metaphors for building class consciousness. Red and the rest of the Tethered are held back by their lazy and cruel bourgeoisie counterparts, the Wilson family. <laughs> will Red be able to change society for the better, or will the Wilson family save their quaint vacation retreat home? <laughs> Maybe along the way, we'll all learn something special, that the real proletariat is us. That is easily one of the best film recaps, Ash, you have ever done. <laughs> I would say so. <laughs> Thank you. At first I was actually like, oh no, I think Ash got the names wrong of the characters. <laughs> I watched a completely different film. <laughs> Very clever. I know, I was like, wait, I'm pretty sure Red is, I'm pretty sure her name's not Abraham. It's, right. uh, it's Adelaide. Yeah, anyway. Clever, very, clever. Very so nice. I guess for people who haven't seen the film, <laughs> maybe we should explain why that was so clever. <laughs> so Ash, do you have a second? Yeah, uh, so, so more, here's, more here's, my, here's my backup, recap. <laughs> my, my backup for, for everyone who's uh, uh, doing the whole Sparks notes, Spark Notes cheating your homework thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, the the story uh, centers around uh, Adelaide Wilson, her husband uh, Gabe, and their two children Azora and Jason. Uh, they're off to have a uh, uh, they're they're a, a you know upwardly mobile middle class uh, Black American family. They're off to have a, a lovely family vacation. Uh, but things quickly turn dark when they encounter a a group of like red uh, pajama suit wearing uh, psycho counterparts to themselves. Each one a, a mirror replica of a member of the family. Uh, you know, slasher plot ensues. A lot of uh, people are killed and there are hijinks. And then we get to the realization that uh, the counterparts are actually a counterpart to every single American known as the Tethered, who, who live beneath us and, and live mirrored, darker, twisted versions of our own lives. The Tethered have uh, risen up from their subterranean dwellings and are out to uh, you know, reclaim a more equitable place in society and a bloody revolution. And we get the twist revelation that uh, Adelaide Wilson, the mother of the family, is, is actually herself one of the Tethered. They were that uh, she, she swapped positions with her Tethered counterpart when they were just children. And so she has, in fact, been the tethered this whole time, and her tethered counterpart has really just been the normal one. 
Mm-hmm. And the the film ends with them driving off uh, to, into Mexico to try and escape the uh, turmoil in the States. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I mean, amazing. Thank you for both of those recaps. The first one was obviously... <laughs> one wait, one was decidedly much better than <laughs> the other. One was decidedly much <laughs> better. Um, so before we dig into some of the themes, does, do people just want to give kind of their overall impression of the film when you first watched it? Like what you took away? Uh, yeah, I I really like it. I think it is uh, in places really beautiful and incredibly well made. Peel is just such a good filmmaker. The performances are all so convincing. It is uh, surprisingly funny as well. There is one uh, music track that's there's one track mm. that's used in a very key a very key scene, mm-hmm. which when I saw mm-hmm. it. I saw it uh, at a really small screening and it just killed because it's such it's such a well-timed gag. Yeah, um, it really is. I, I have I think it has some really interesting things to say about class politics and the internal antagonisms of certain class groups within society. Mm-hmm. And the ending is super bleak. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it is. <laughs> How about you, Maureen? I also liked it a lot. Uh, I feel like the more I thought about it and I actually rewatched a bunch of scenes throughout, I watched it for the first time like three days ago, I think. And I actually, I had watched the entire movie except for the five last minutes. (laughs) And so, because I, like I had a friend coming over and basically I stopped it five minutes early and Mexi kept telling me, like, Rain, there's there's a pretty important thing that happens in those last five minutes. <laughs> like, it really is a plot twist. And I was like, no, I've already seen, you know, when – I've already seen when Adelaide kills mm-hmm. her, like, tethered counterpart. Like, you know, I thought that was it. Um, and then – and then, yes, I guess I was in for a surprise because there is quite a twist at the end, which at first I was – a bit, uh, it took me some time to find the meaning of that twist. And I know that, you know, then I, I watched a few, um, a few of Jordan Peele's interview and it seems like he wanted, he, he didn't want there to be a resolute answer that everyone needed, um, to come to by the end of the film. And it took me some time to find that meaning. I, I was almost like, uh, I feel like they're trying to do too much for this, with this ending. And I, I'm not sure it all ties together. And then the more I thought about it, um, and also like read different interpretations of the ending, the more I think it's, it's really, really good and smart. And so I look mm-hmm. forward to talking about it with you, but yeah, I thought the acting was incredible. I was also very impressed that, I mean, everyone like the four main actors also are playing like their tethered Mm. counterparts. So they're playing like the good guy and the bad guy. And so I feel like that's even, that's something even more Mm -hmm. impressive about their acting. And yeah, I just, I thought it was really good. I also thought it was really funny and the music scene stuck with me, like, especially when she screams out, like call the police. (laughs) And then there's that, (laughs) what's like the song about like, the police being useless coming on. I yeah. thought that was very the well police. <laughs> um, Yeah, that was great. Yeah, yeah, yeah was really I, I was kind of the same when I when I first watched it. Well, I was comparing it, I guess, to um, Get Out, and I was at first I was like, I'm not really able to suspend my disbelief uh, that much because when the the Reds came into the house and they were uh, saying all the stuff, I was like, Where is this going? And um, yeah, but after when when it got to the end and the twist happened, I was like, Oh, I was like, that just adds a whole another layer. And then the more that I thought about it, the more I just realized there's. There's so many, so many layers there. And I saw that Jordan Peele said that 
the film, there's a double meaning to everything. And so knowing that I was kind of like, oh, I see the film was about duality. And so for so all of these things, there's, there's always kind of a double meaning. And I, I thought that that made a lot of sense hearing that. So mm. Ash. Uh, yeah, I was kind of I was kind of nervous uh, go, going in to see the film because we were kind of coming off the heels of a massive wave of like home invasion movies mm. with like vaguely masked, uh, kind of ambiguous slasher killers. And Get Out was amazing, but you know, like maybe that was a one hit wonder. But I absolutely loved Us. I thought it was a fantastic movie. Oh, okay. So the thing, the thing that I because I think I think we've covered a lot of the points that I would have covered, but um. Mm-hmm. The one thing I did want to bring up is is when I was watching this movie, I kept putting it in dialogue with um, uh, another another like horror classic that's about awakening and class consciousness and the beginning of kind of you know insurrectionary revolution, and that's um, they live. Mm. Mm. And so, so I, I was kind of putting it in dialogue with those two movies and kind of seeing how how our perceptions and how these two different uh, films approach this idea of, of awakening to class consciousness and kind of coming to terms with a lot of the reality of our condition and kind of like this, 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 this is um, kind of like a double think that we're imposed on. Mm-hmm. I thought was uh, quite, quite interesting. Yeah. I actually haven't seen they live, which is, I know blasphemy. Um, but yeah, if you want to talk about any of like the similarities uh, when we get into our discussion, that would be very interesting. Because uh, I know that's a classic. Totally. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I actually, I have, um, I have the phrase "they live" engraved on every single pair of glasses I own. Oh, so uh, very into that movie. <laughs> yeah, I, I heard about it through uh, Thoughts. I made a video about you know great horror films that have leftist themes, and that was mm-hmm. one of the. I think it was one of the top ones. So definitely have to see that. Oh yeah. Um, but so in terms of themes, I mean, this film clearly evokes class struggle. I thought there might be some like interesting departures or just some interesting pieces of flair that Jordan Peele has, uh, inserted here. I was just wondering, uh, what people think about if there's any like tensions or anything involved in reading the film through the lens of class struggle. Anyone can answer. (laughs) (laughs) You you have like the most unresponsive class right now. <laughs> uh, Ash, why don't you go first? Uh, yeah. Yes. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> the the second of the four things I'm good at is is the horror vanguard opinion like a uh, sacrificial vehicle here. <laughs> um. Well, it's it's only because I have what I think is maybe a slightly contrarian take on this. Mm. So. Ooh. I mean, so, so maybe I can, I can save that one. <laughs> I'm excited for this because I think, um, for the record, every time John has had a contrarian take, we've actually had the same take. <laughs> Ooh. So we'll see. We'll see if this is actually the first time that that, that this uh, this contrarian contrarian mm. bit is different. But as far as uh, class consciousness and Adelaide and Red go, I have a lot of like mixed feelings about it because I think the you know like like contrasting it into they live like they the basic plot of they live is there's there's kind of like um uh the f- famous famous american pro wrestler rowdy rowdy piper plays a, in like like a itinerant construction worker mm-hmm. uh you know he stumbles upon a resistance group that have made uh like uh scientifically enhanced sunglasses and you put them on and you can see through the brainwashing that every uh person's gone through <laughs> And it turns out that there's there, there's like uh, a conspiracy between a race of uh, aliens and the upper class mm. to subdue everybody. So like 
like when you look at the money, it just says obey and God and stuff like that. And when you look at like all the advertisements are like reproduce, be docile. Mm-hmm. And instead of like, you know, whatever they were saying. So he sees through everything and he goes on like this quest to like to show other people what he's seen and to fight back. And and, and it's kind of like individualistic. And, and this one is a, a collectivist take on that because Red does have to kind of mobilize the tethered however she can. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But I think it's also it's interesting because like there's 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 the discourse of like class traitors too. Yeah. You know, because uh you know when they when we get the reveal that they've swapped positions, that, that means that the the original tethered, which I'm assuming I, I think there's a very safe read for the tethered as kind of like the lumpen proletariat. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, like the the lower class that that hasn't yet come to be aware of its position as the lower class. Right. And and she she readily throws another person to oppression just to escape for a moment, and it's only this like like lost bourgeoisie child that's able to lead the revolution. Like I think that there's mm-hmm. some some tension there that I don't quite know how I work out. Yeah, I kind of had the same thought, uh, especially because um, Red, who I guess is the real Adelaide, is <laughs> just kind of confusing. Yeah. Um, you know, she says that she found her faith and that she uh, felt that she, you know, people saw that she had been delivered to send them from misery. Mm -hmm. Right. And I kind of thought, well, this is really interesting. It's kind of like an upper class person going down to the lower class and then like organizing the masses. And I'm like, is this a critique of that? Or is this, um, you know, thinking about in our modern day where, people uh who were born to into middle class families like you know the millennial generation the younger generations sure mm-hmm. they're born into middle class families but they're uh you know effectively kind of their class position is getting lowered and lowered all the time right yeah. um yeah i just i think there's something interesting there and then um the other thing i thought was just uh, an interesting kind of flair about this reading this through class consciousness is that um at the start they have this a uh, scene in the car where um, they mention like there's fluoride in the water and the government's putting fluoride mm-hmm. fluoride in the water. <laughs> I totally picked up on that too. <laughs> yeah, to to control people, and then later we hear that you know the shadow people are being made like cloned with you know their bodies are being cloned but their souls are not being cloned, um, but they're being made to quote unquote control the upper people like puppets. Um, but this failed and so they were abandoned. And then, so I was kind of like, how do we work that out? Like, how does that track, right? Like the government is (laughs) controlling, like the government is making these, um, people to control the middle and upper classes, but that failed and then they were abandoned. Um, so I don't know. I, yeah, that part just kind of, I wasn't quite sure how to, to track that in terms of reading it through class consciousness. Mm-hmm. Yeah, one thing one thing I think that I, I could throw out about um, Red kind of specifically as as this figure who kind of go, goes into the tethered and goes into the lumpen proletariat and and inspires them and leads them to, to, to this kind of revolt is that does, that does kind of fit into the model that's suggested by Marxist-Leninists. Yeah. Right, you know, red red is is like the movie stand in for for like the the educated class consciousness uh, class conscious vanguard party mm-hmm. who is able to then you know go and mobilize everyone else who doesn't necessarily have that skill set mm-hmm. and you know I 
there are a lot of very valid critiques of this, but I think that that might be a way to kind of mm-hmm. use like leftist theory to parse Red's character specifically. Yeah, I have that written down too, like the Vanguard <laughs> question mark. <laughs> <laughs> well, what I thought was interesting about the way that she mobilized for re- revolution as well is um, it was clearly inspired from what she had seen just as a little kid. Like it opens, mm-hmm. the movie opens with that commercial of now I'm like, what is it? It's called like the underground. What is it? The hands across, hands across America. Hands across America. Yeah. So like one of the first scenes is just her watching hands across America. And when she goes into the haunted house, she's wearing that hands across America t-shirt. And so mm-hmm. it seemed very, it like seemed clear to me at the end that she kind of picked that model just because that's, one of the last things she had seen before going in the haunted yeah. house. And then she just had that t-shirt to just stare at for mm-hmm. like 40 years. And it, it clearly, I, I think that's what her like inspiration was behind, you know, starting the movement in the way that she did just this very, like, I don't know, this like vision that she had that ended up, I, I don't know if it worked out that well in the uh-huh. end, but I thought that was interesting. And what I also thought was like really clever about that last scene, which I rewatched like three times because um, <laughs> when when uh, Adelaide, well, who we think is Adelaide, which who I guess is Red, but Adelaide, you know, for the purpose of, I guess, I guess somewhat clarity when she goes into the underworld <laughs> to save uh, her son, I'm blanking on his name, Jason. To, to go and get Jason and and Red um, gives that big speech about like who the tethered are and the fact that mm-hmm. um, they're exact replicas, but they figured out how to replicate the body and not the soul. And I was like, what, you know, what does that mean? Um, but I think that there there's an interesting commentary about how we think like we think that the tethered have no souls, but then clearly when Red Oh God, it gets very confusing with the names. But basically, when she went into <laughs> when she went into the real world and became the alleged Adelaide, she, you know, at first wasn't speaking because the tether don't know how to speak, and her parents think that it's because she's just um, traumatized that she's not speaking. I think that it's just because she doesn't know how to speak and she needs to learn. And through dance and socializing, she does learn, and then she becomes like very successful and a mother and a wife and everything and it says something interesting about how we think or how the tethered are perceived as having like no souls and not being capable of anything but how when they come into our world they're completely able to like assimilate with time and you know resources and education like so well that no one even knows that she was like one of the tethered to begin with Mm -hmm. so i have a slightly different take on it yeah i'm Um, interested to hear <laughs> and amazingly, amazingly, for the first time, Ash and I don't necessarily agree. <gasps> oh yes, uh, I'm so excited. Because <laughs> I, I, I mean, I, I really like this idea of like the kind of it's it's a film predicated upon a kind of external class structure. But to me, that kind of misses something about this film, which is that it's essentially about psychological interiority and duality. So. I don't think that this is a film necessarily about a kind of lumpen proletariat gaining class consciousness, but I actually think this is about the kind of uh, antagonisms within middle class subjectivity itself. Mm. Because if you think about where Hands Across America came from, it was organized by like a music producer 
in 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 LA who had these contacts with famous people mm-hmm. and it was kind of like a product of bourgeois entertainment systems you know the 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 there isn't any kind of political education that happens it's it's the tethered sea uh, dance and kind of art and culture so uh i i i like the idea of this kind of slightly marxist leninist reading of the film <laughs> but honestly i but i i think that um I think that that misses actually that this is this is not necessarily about kind of class consciousness. It's about kind of subjectivity and the ways in which subjectivity, especially middle class subjectivity, because of the material conditions from which it emerges, basically fails to cohere into something sort of like solid. And it's kind of riven with these really interesting fractures. Um, mm. You can all tell me I'm wrong now. You can all, t- you can all tell me I'm wrong. <laughs> well, I think um, I, I think like a big point in favor of your argument is 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 another another little factoid about the real world hands across America, is that they they it was it was a charity for to end hunger broadly as a concept, um, and they raised thirty four million dollars, but only donated fifteen million dollars because they were operating at over fifty percent overhead. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Which for a charity that's that stripped down, it's just kind of organizing people to hold hands with, with like very very little other overhead costs. Like that is ludicrously high overhead. Mm. So yeah, that is not a Lenin. That is not a Leninist model of political <laughs> organization. <laughs> yeah, that, that, that is that is very all middle I, that's class all I'll bourgeoisie say. charity mindset. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, I think there's definitely something to that. Um, that's what I was kind of thinking at the end, I mean, we were going to kind of get into this about like, um, you know, who are we supposed to sympathize with in this film? And I think that it was, it was a really deep look at, you know, subjectivity and how one, uh, I guess, adopts the subjectivity of whatever class position that they're in and like kind of what that drives them to do and such. But yeah, I think that's a really, really interesting reading that I I think most people will miss because they'll be focused on the the class struggle. I also listened to a podcast called uh, Still Processing that um, had a very different reading of of the film. And I actually listened to that podcast before starting the film because it was like one of those spoiler free kind of 15 minute nuggets about just, Mm -hmm. you know, brief review of the of the film. And they explained that it was it had a lot to do with like the, so this is, they didn't reveal that Adelaide was actually red and vice versa. Um, but they just said, you know, the mother has like all this trauma from when she is, when, from this experience from when she's younger and that trauma, like it kind of shows how you pass on trauma through generations and generations because then her whole family also like is involved in this trauma. And I thought that that was interesting. It it got confusing though because then it's clear that every single person in the world has, you know, a shadow in the mm-hmm. underworld. Um mm-hmm. but I did like thinking about that and and also, you know, they brought up in this podcast that this is this black family that has you know, pretty much made it in America. Like the father is wearing a Howard sweatshirt and has a boat and has mm-hmm. a nice car and um that the oppressed, um, like there's this huge legacy of oppression, obviously, and it brings up like, you know, no matter how much you want to kind of get out of it, it's still, you know, it's still there and needs to be acknowledged and will come back to, you know, might come back to haunt you. And it brings up themes about like, how much are any of us ever really completely free? Um, 
Ooh, good point. Yeah, I just thought I would throw that in because I thought that it was an interesting reading. Um, but I was kind of confused about why like that white family also had I, I guess since I had listened to that podcast before, then when I saw that like the white wealthy family also had um tethered counterparts, it mm-hmm. it seemed to me like this was more than a movie about maybe yeah, class consciousness and class struggle more than about race. Well, that feeds into the second question very nicely, (laughs) (laughs) Um, which is, to what extent do people think that race is actually central to this message? Ash, John? (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, I'll go. Sure. Um, I I think that, um, like, in one one hand, it's kind of, hmm, I don't want to phrase this. It's compelling to treat this movie as either or right it's very compelling to look at us especially in the wake of get out and and the rest of jordan peele's body of work and especially a a lot of um the things he says in interviews and and kind of like the specific direction he comes from to to look at this from the perspective of of like the black american condition and to kind of treat that as the lens through which we look at this. And it's also incredibly tempting to, to look at this through the lens of class analysis and, and something, you know, a little more explicitly Marxist. But I think that both of these dialogues are happening simultaneously and they're not like mutually exclusive to one another. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would agree, actually. And I think... Surprise, that- surprise! <laughs> <laughs> Typical leftist echo chamber. Uh, no, I no, I would agree, and I think it's. I think that goes some way to to sort of starting to explain why uh, Josh and Kitty have their own versions of the tethered as well, mm-hmm. and that's that's because you know capitalism exerts a kind of psychic toll upon the subjectivity of individuals, especially uh, as shown in this in this film, the kind of anxieties of bourgeois middle class people. Mm-hmm. You know, there's there there are the, all of these kind of sublimated desires and lit- literally things which are pushed underground and which will violently reemerge because uh maintaining like a, a clear view of that under capitalism is is simply not possible but that isn't to elide the fact that capitalism is systemically and structurally racist mm-hmm. um and so it, it there they these two discourses are not are not in any way in conflict mm-hmm. but are actually complementary and should actually deepen deepen our understanding of 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 uh both yeah i i would definitely agree with that um i also thought that it might be a critique like the fact that um you know their family was a black family that kind of rose up the ranks and then um you know we find out that she had actually basically sold out like her people to get ahead right i mean she's mm-hmm. just killing them all uh, mercilessly like doesn't matter I'm just going to kill all of you because I want to maintain this position that I have and I kind of thought I kind of thought about like Fanon and um, just the critique of um, the ways in which yeah I mean the colonized end up like if you if they end up in a higher position then they will uh, at times like be incentivized to turn against kind of their own people and so I thought um, I just, yeah, I just thought about kind of France Fanon's The Wretched of the Earth when I was watching that. And um, I thought that might be an interesting critique as well um, about kind of like black capitalism kind of thing. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I thought that was that could be an interesting piece of it. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, Maureen? Yeah. And no, that's really interesting, Maxi. I actually hadn't thought about that. Um, and how the, the father, oh, I'm sorry, I'm so bad at remembering names. What is his name? <laughs> Me too. Wait, Ab- I, ha- I must no, have my notes. The good one or bad a- one? Yeah, Ab- Abraham is tethered, the bad tethered one. dad. Okay, tethered right. dad. And uh, yeah, it, yeah, and then uh, Gabe, Gabe, I think, Gabe. is uh, good dad. Gabe is good dad. Um, <laughs> good, good in quotes, I guess, depending on how you read it. How when Gabe, you know, asked them like, "What, what, what do you want? What do you people want? I can go to the ATM machine. I can yeah. do anything that I want." And the <laughs> yeah, tethered yeah, yeah. are like, "That is so far. Like, we don't, we don't care at all about that." Um, yeah. So I, yeah, that, that was interesting. And then also how it's true that it plays on like the intersection of, you know, it's hard to tell if it's more about like race or about class. And I think you're right that it's about both. Um, But when we see very clearly that the the tethered family, there's so many things, even though they're exact like physical replicas of one another, um, how the alleged Adelaide had everything that Red didn't have and how Red, you know, was forced to eat raw rabbits and perform a C-section on herself Uh um, Mm -hmm. and, you know, didn't get to marry who she wanted. And even when the, the Abraham, you know, takes um god i forgot the da- the good dad's name again but his glasses Gabe. Gabe. <laughs> gabe's gabe's glasses and can like probably see clearly for the first time um and mm-hmm. i thought yeah i thought that that was really interesting that juxtaposition of seeing everything that this family you know this like wealthier black family had um mm-hmm. that that the tether didn't have well although this i digress a little bit but i was very can, I was pretty confused at the end how if – it doesn't make sense to me that Red, since she performed like an emergency C-section on herself and and had the kids in the underworld, how they could be the counterparts of – what are their names? How – okay, there there's the there's my name list. Um, how <laughs> Jason and Zora can actually be the, the twins of Pluto and Umbre. Does that make sense? Because like they weren't apparent, like Pluto and Umbre couldn't have been man-made because Red talks about birthing them, and they wouldn't be exact replicas because I don't know how Red would have mated with the same person. Does this make sense? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It actually it makes a lot of sense to me, and it's one of the things I really liked about this movie is that it's it's very gothic in that way, right? It's it's very dark and ambiguous and occult. You know, like we don't we we have this vague idea of how the tethered operate, but we don't we don't really ever get like, you know, a, a, like a, a, to be crass, a lesser movie would have had a scene where like some some like old white guy in a suit was like, we started the tethered program in 1804 <laughs> and like like the yeah, spelled yeah, it all yeah. out. And we would have learned like we we the soul sucking machine didn't work. So we buried it all like mm-hmm. we would have, would have been like very hammered out Mm -hmm. but the fact that like you know we learn how the tethered work from somebody who was abducted into the tethered world you know Mm -hmm. and like it's 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 how much can we trust what we're being told from this group of people who like you know don't learn how to speak for themselves Mm -hmm. and it's only this outside perspective that's that's kind of teaching us what they are and what they do and i think that reflects a lot of our contemporary condition you know, this is, it, it reminds me of Cam, uh, Spivak's classic, Can the Subaltern Speak? Mm. You know, yeah. how, how people at the periphery find a gentle political voice. 
-hmm. And it's also uh, like a lot of like our everyday lived conditions, right? Like, you know, like I think if we're being honest with ourselves, we really don't know how like so much of the cultural machinery around us even works. Mm -hmm. You know, like it's all very occult and mysterious and kind of demoniacal. And it's a lot like how the tethered are made and reproduced, right? Like there's a lot of like ambiguous questions that like, mm-hmm. like when you flatly ask like, like how the hell like do, does money exist as a thing when people are dying in the street? Mm-hmm. You know, like, like that seems like such a flatly obvious question where it's like, well, duh. But like trying to answer that, like the, there are whole fields of study attempting to delve that question because it's, it's incredibly occulted behind so many layers of culture and I think that the tethered functions similar to that. And like you can, we, we have like these very flat questions about the tethered. Like, well, how, how does the cloning work exactly? And that, right. that kind of like how did they get mirrors food? things. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like where are the, what, what do the rabbits eat? Exactly. Um, plot hole. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, like how do they get fancy outfits and scissors? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I think that's a really, really interesting reading, especially a yeah, comparison that to uh, good. yeah, does the subal- or can the subaltern speak? Um, yeah, I really enjoyed that. So a big question I had <laughs> is what is the significance of the phrase "we are Americans"? Um, because when the tethered come into their house and they're sitting in their living room and they're explaining kind of you know, why they're here and why they're so angry. Uh, People are like, you know, they're like, who are you people? Um, And then Red says, we are Americans. And I was just like, boom, that's so significant. But I just (laughs) wanted to know what people thought about that. Yeah, so I think Ash and I have talked on Horror Vanguard quite a lot about the ways in which horror is useful for kind of exposing the the fears of a kind of particular cultural moment. Mm Mm-hmm. And so I, I read this in light of um, this idea of like American political self-identity is usually predicated on a matter of faith. Um, if you go back and listen to like old speeches by Barack Obama, there's a lot of talk in there about dreams and mm-hmm. destiny mm-hmm. and kind of fu- future facing language. Whereas uh as anyone who kind of spends even 30 seconds looking at contemporary political (laughs) conditions will know that that dream is only maintained by like hideous, like obscene Mm. levels of violence. So, so I think, I think like we could try and be like really, Oh, uh, over analytical with it, but no, that they are Americans. They're exactly the product of the system, but it's the part of the system that nobody really wants to talk about. Nobody wants to admit that it's there because that would involve questioning all of the ideological suppositions that uphold that in the first place. Mm-hmm. John, I, I completely agree with that. I thought that that line was so powerful because it, yeah, it, it showed, you know, exactly what you just described, that these people are, they, they've been silenced and they've been hidden away. Um, but the fact that they just bring up, like, yeah, they represent that whole, that whole big underpinning of society that no one, that that has been disenfranchised and not listened to. And it's just like very clear when they say that phrase, I thought. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, you'll see a lot of kind of like liberal commenters, like looking at the latest atrocity of the Trump administration going, this is not who we are. And it's <laughs> yeah. like, no, it's exactly it is. exactly who we are. It, it absolutely <laughs> mm-hmm. is. And, and, and we've been that for a very long time, you know? And so one thing that, 
Peel is really good at in this film is like peeling back that layer of ideological denial and going, nope, you're going to have to actually look at yourselves and kind of confront the the sort of horrors of what it is you've done. Mm-hmm. I I think that's a really uh, you know important reading of that. I when I first uh, watched it or yeah when I first watched that scene, I was like, oh, does this have to do with settler colonialism or does this have to do with kind of <laughs> you know like imperialism or that kind of thing? Because at that time I didn't really know like where these people had come from, um, but I thought you know yeah they're just showing up at somebody's house, coming in like forcing them to you know telling the kids like well watch watch um, my son's tricks and do this and do do that or whatever right um or like teach them and, and whatnot so i was like oh is this you know we're americans like we're here to to fuck you up basically <laughs> <laughs> um oh. but then, so, obviously that, that you yeah. That, was a, that was a dark reading. <laughs> that's what, yeah. yeah that's what i took at the starting but then i was like well that that doesn't track the entire way right but, yeah <laughs> maxi i'm curious to well, maybe you can talk about later in the podcast how I think initially you thought it was sort of reactionary. I remember you telling me before I watched it and as I was yeah, watching well, the movie, I was just so curious about like what what was your initial reading that made you say that? Um, well, it was uh, we're going to kind of get to that later is like who are we supposed to sympathize with because I was like, you know, obviously at the end they're getting away and it's just like okay, well, this whole time we've been kind of m- kind of made to sympathize well it's hard to say who we've made made to sympathize with but it's kind of like okay great like the main characters are getting away now and she like turns to her son and is like you know don't don't you worry like everything's just gonna go back to the way it was like everything will just be the way it was uh you know meaning kind of like the way it was before you knew that there was even these tethered people and you can just go back to like ignoring that they exist kind of thing right um Mm -hmm. And so at, at first I was like, oh, like there could be a reactionary reading of this. But then obviously I was like, well, I obviously think Jordan Peele was not going for that reading, but it was just a bit, you know, um, I guess ambiguous for me at, at first. But yeah, I, I was going to ask um, John in the notes here, you wrote that it's worth contrasting Gabe and Adelaide with Kitty and Josh. Just wondering if you wanted to elaborate on that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because there's this, there's this great uh, sort of tension between Adelaide and Gabe when he brings up, we're going to go, we'll drive out to the lake and my friends will be there. And it's it's Elizabeth Moss and Tim Heidecker, um, who are these kind of like bougie, bougie white people who are ever so slightly doing better than Gabe. Mm-hmm. And that's like a big source mm. of kind of tension for him. Like he's got his, he's got his like little beat up boat and, and you know, you've got the house that's set back from the mm-hmm. lake. But um, uh, jo- Josh has got like, the brand new uh, lake house, which has got the incredible view. So like one of the things that's really interesting about the way that this film thinks about the middle class is how there are these incredibly fine gradations of like distinction Mm -hmm. that happen like in in, like internal class antagonism. So like often we on the left think about kind of like class antagonisms on a kind of like macro level, but like capitalism depends upon a middle class that is constantly competing uh-huh. against one another. Uh, so, so there's the, the you can just see the kind of like reluctance in Adelaide's face to kind of meet these people, whereas mm. Gabe is like desperate to try and prove himself. 
and it's like yes that that's an incredibly american thing as well right the whole the whole kind of philosophy of like uh consumerism mm -hmm. as identity it's like how do you think of yourself well you have your american dream of of you know property ownership uh, capital accumulation that's that's also part of it yeah <laughs> yeah i really like that that interpretation i mean that supports your initial interpretation that this isn't so much about uh like a marxist leninist class struggle but um more to do with like the subjectivity of the middle class i mean i would love it if it was about <laughs> marxist leninist class struggle <laughs> Maybe we'll but, look out with his next film. But I don't think Jordan Peele is a, a Marxist-Leninist. No, <laughs> no. <laughs> I hate to I hate to break it to all of my uh, ML yeah. comrades. I don't think Jordan Peele <laughs> is in the vanguard. <laughs> Probably not. <laughs> not yet. Not, not yet. yet. <laughs> not Indeed. yet. A little, a little more work. We just need to get him on Horror Vanguard and he'll come over. Jordan, yeah. True that. Jordan Peele, come on Horror Vanguard. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think um as as like the token American in the in the podcast oh, right yeah. now. I think um one of the things that struck me when I heard the line "We are Americans" is that uh, uh, Lupita Nyong'o isn't uh, she's she's Kenyan uh, of Kenyan Mexican descent. Um, what is, who is the actor who plays Gabe? It, it is uh, Winston Duke. Winston Duke, I think, is uh, from Trinidad, and this is something that Jordan Peele is kind of like caught yeah. flack for. Is that that he doesn't he doesn't choose Black Americans to act in his films? He kind of goes for an international casting. And I think what, what's interesting is you know we have we have like this international cast, you know, looking looking us dead in the eye and saying we are Americans. And I think that kind of speaks to the current condition under like this capitalist hegemonic system where so much of American culture has just been pumped into mm -hmm. the rest of the world. And so much of like, like, like what is American cultural identity outside of the confines of that machinery? And I think that that's, that's kind of like part of what they're getting at here is that like, you know, these people have, you know, they they live in like this cursed demon underworld where they're like birthed through some kind of black magic cloning system and they eat rabbits and like they live in a nightmare, but they still completely qualify as Americans. Yeah. And I, I think that that was a very interesting kind of just, just line to hit you with. Yeah. It's also interesting that in that like um, not only is American culture kind of exported everywhere, but it's also everyone around the world has a stake in American politics, which is yes, not absolutely. the case yeah. for most countries. Like in terms of Canada, our politics are completely shaped by what happens in the United States. Whatever you guys do down there, mm -hmm. we will just replicate. And so there's like just an immense yeah. stake. And so, and of course, if you think about like American imperialism it's a, and everything, it's like, well, we're basically living in the American empire. So we are American, we are Americans, right? Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think that that was, that was one of like the really powerful like i forget who said this it was some like like youtube quip that i saw but but somebody was like it was it was like some, somebody was saying like, like oh your president should stay in america your president and then the the, the rebuttal was well he's your president too mm -hmm. and they were saying this to someone from the uk and i thought that like you know like like that that kind of exclamation that everyone is like de facto an american given how like current geopolitics mm -hmm. shakes down yeah I mean, one thing to add to that, though, is that there is a kind of internal contradiction to that statement of we are Americans, right? Oh, yeah. Which is that uh, this idea of belonging is something that is very politically loaded, right? And Oh, yeah. 
to think about America's contemporary political situation, there are plenty of people who are Americans who have been forcibly deported. Mm -hmm. there, have yes. been, there have been those who have died because they want to be counted as Americans. Mm -hmm. You know, so to and I think it's incredibly interesting that uh, that point about international casting. Um, I think that ties right into this notion, you know, that kind of American uh, exceptionalist ideology of like, you know, America is a kind of, you know, give us your huddled masses yearning to be free, whilst at the same time... A great it, melting pot. Implementing, implementing this sort of fascistic mm -hmm. uh, border control policy of, you know, putting children into camps and mm. deporting people who have lived in the country for decades. Something which is being mirrored in, in the UK as well, I should point out, uh, by our incompetent fascist home office. Um, uh, so this this question of like who gets to belong and what does it actually mean to belong is mm -hmm. is I think that's really really interesting. Yeah, hmm. yeah. I you've definitely opened my mind <laughs> to the possibility that Jordan Peele was actually really uh, self aware of the fact that it was an international cast um, that he was. You know, it was sort of ironic that they were talking about like we are, we are Americans. I saw a um, a video by a YouTuber who I really like called Seren, and she's um, black. Amer she's like a black American woman, and she was like pissed off about the fact that, uh, I mean, very much on the side of that she's sick of um, Jordan Peele casting. Uh, foreign foreign black people to play to represent the black american experience because he talks very intentionally in his interviews about wanting to represent the black american experience and the black family experience in america um in his interviews and yet you know as i think yeah as ash mentioned lupita and um the other actor who plays the dad <laughs> um, <laughs> winston, winston duke, duke. The, the very handsome the winston very handsome duke. winston duke yeah indeed um are not are not american and you know she was talking about like what is going to be our legacy if even you know even our own experience like we're not even casted to play that um and so she actually she was she had just seen the trailer for us and the movie hadn't come out yet and she was like you know it's this movie is apparently talking about like creepy ass doppelganger doppelgangers that like come and steal and steal um and come and steal your stuff and so it would be int really interesting if Jordan Peele was so self-aware that he was talking about like black culture vultures and the fact that like sometimes like the black experience mm. is not actually represented by black Americans. Um, she's like, but you know, somehow I, mm. I doubt that that's actually what he was, what he was going for. Um, and, and, you know, maybe he's just not, not addressing the fact that, you know, he cast, um, his cast is, is foreign, um, and not actually black American. So, but I, I do think, I do like the idea of, um, yeah, I think it's an interesting read to to layer that statement of we are Americans even more with the fact that he knew that they were actually not <laughs> black Americans, but he was talking about, you know, some sort of commentary about cultural imperialism, like American imperialism and how everyone is everyone in in a way is American because they're very affected by the politics of mm. imperialism. Yeah. Mhm. Mm yeah, absolutely. And yeah, I think the idea of, you know, who gets to count and who gets to belong is also really compelling. Um, kind of related to that is, 
do we think that the the main character, uh, I guess, Adelaide, do you think that she knew the entire time that she was the girl from the underworld? Like, there's, I, I was wondering if she did know the entire time or if she had, it was like a traumatic experience for her and she was not really remembering until the end. And then she was like, Oh, I just remembered that I am that girl. <laughs> or if she like consciously was conscious of it the entire time. Like that she would have maybe convinced herself that she did belong and was never part of the tethered world. Yeah. Like, 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 cause she was a child. She had, you know, it like maybe, I don't know it felt, it was like traumatic for her to, well, I guess it wouldn't be traumatic for her. Cause she was the one who pushed the, the other one the other woman into the underworld and then took her place so i guess she like definitely knew um, but it's true that she's probably so psychically invested in mm-hmm. in thinking that she 100 percent belongs that mm-hmm. you know she might have forgotten um or kind of like masked that in her psyche but i felt that the fact that she didn't speak that she didn't speak for a year or two while she was like learning human language that made me think and and the fact that she remembers that scene and she has flashes from that scene that she actually knew but but she only has that those flashes at the very end and so and then you see her in the car and she's kind of looking up with this look kind of like oh boy you know and i was wondering like is that is that her having this moment of realization that oh i i am that person or did she know the entire time and the whole time she was mm. just fighting to maintain her her privilege but then she's the the last scene like she's sort of smiling like she got away with something is she yeah doesn't she doesn't she smile at the end mm-hmm. and then and then it also made me think that jason had that is his name right her son mm-hmm. <laughs> okay had caught on to the fact that well, I really wondered by the end, does Jason suspect that his mother is, you know, mm-hmm. from the tethered? Because when he sees her kill Red, well, the alleged Red, um, mm-hmm. and, you know, he's he, he just looks at her very, like, actually before the final scene, I was thinking, is this kid, like, sort of a bad actor? Because he looked at her. I was very confused about the looks that he was giving her um, when she, like opened up that that locker uh, I'm not sure it was a locker or a closet or something and then he comes out and she says you know we're free now you know we're free now we're mm-hmm. we're we're all safe and then he says like no we're not and I thought that you know he might thinking about that scene now I'm wondering if since she killed you know red in cold blood right yeah in cold blood um and then at at the end when he I don't know that that look it seemed like a look of complicity when they were exchanging at the end and then he puts his mask back on as if he's maybe yeah. just like not going to out her or just going to like pretend like he doesn't know. Yeah, so I loved that part because at first I mean I I think to me it felt pretty clear that he knew that this person this his mom was the underworld mom like I I think okay. that he he did know that. Um, but at, at, at the end of the day, it's still his mom. But then I thought, what if like, is this boy actually the underworld boy? Because there was that other scene yeah, on the beach mm-hmm. where he was like uh, out of her sight for a while and went near the fun house and saw that 
hand dripping man <laughs> and whatnot. And we don't really see what happened <laughs> there. And so it's like, you know, presumably the same thing could have happened that he could have got swapped um, for the other boy. And so I, I thought that was kind of interesting as well. But then he spoke right away or he knew how to speak. Yeah, true. Maybe I'm just too technical because I was just I actually <laughs> had that thought, too. But then I was thinking, well, how is that possible since the mother like they both gave birth to their sons, like in, you know, their respective worlds and raised them. And so mm -hmm. I don't know if they could have been like seamlessly swapped. I actually thought, oh, what if, what if he the, the entire time was also someone from like, was also tethered. But then, yeah, that didn't make sense with how, sh how the mother could have birthed him in the not tethered world, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I guess it doesn't quite make sense how he would yeah. have known how to speak speak immediately um but i guess i just thought you know what what else was the significance of him like going off in the beach and seeing mm -hmm. that man so i don't know is it because he's like part tethered you know i wondered that too like if the kids are a little off just because their mother is you know from the tethered world and so they have this almost like by they're like part tethered part human <laughs> Yeah, perhaps. Mm. Ash, what do you think? Yeah, so um, yeah, that's all. That's all really interesting. And I think um, so. So my reading on um, Adelaide and or Red is that if if she knows, right, like if she's always been kind of cognizant of the fact that she escaped this like subterranean nightmare dimension, and and is now trying to like um, assimilate into like American middle class society. That that kind of makes her horrible mm -hmm. on a personal level. That makes her like you know you know class traitor would be the left leftist term to use there. But like to just kind of like viscerally morally disgusting because that means she's lived her entire life knowing that like like hidden hidden in every abandoned building is like a staircase that leads to a world where people live in unimaginable cruelty and only eat live rabbits. Mm -hmm. And she has done nothing about that her entire life she's been really cool with it and that's that's kind of like a huge abnegation of a i mean like like yes it's very unfair that that responsibility has been thrust on her because she saw an out and she took it mm -hmm. but at the same time like that's a massive abnegation of uh like adelaide's responsibility if she is aware mm -hmm. if but, but then again like she was really young you know, and like, you know, thinking back to my childhood, like, you know, like, you know, once once you get to a certain point in your adulthood, like those memories all start to kind of blur together and get a little fuzzy and kind of hard to parse. Mm -hmm. And it's, you know, like if, we, if we're applying kind of like a real world logic to her, it, it's very easy to understand how she might just like have view her child, her early childhood as having some unspecified trauma, perhaps related to to a, a speech impediment or disorder and then be kind of detached from the reality of her condition. Mm -hmm. I think I think that ending kind of look between them is really really interesting, and in a way, it's it's really telling that there's a mask right after it. Mm -hmm. uh, because I I don't know I I think that's that's a kind of key moment of any sort of like development of of, of the individual into the subject, right? When you realize that the kind of parental front is just like an image it's 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 a a kind of and what what uh it's um 
Jason, isn't it? He's he's got to see behind the kind of mask to to, and so he like uh, the way that I was thinking about it is to kind of bring up they live. If the glasses are that which kind of reveals the ideological truth, the mask is what hides it. Mm. So it's like we kn- we know we know that really these people around us these are, are kind of uh, the other kind of bourgeois subjects that we we are surrounded by. Uh, they everyone seems like they're so nice and so they're so friendly and everything's going to be fine and everything's very stable. But underneath it all, there is this kind of like uh, systemic sort of injustice that Ash was talking about. But there's also the potential these these kind of like dark repressed libidinal urges this kind of violence that's being kept at bay by a very by pretty thin veneer of like oh everything's going to be fine now everything's gonna (laughs) er, Mm -hmm. it's it's all fine everything's going to go back to normal which is exactly the response of kind of bourgeois capitalism whenever there is the kind of smallest crisis Mm -hmm. you know you think you think back to uh george w bush after 9 11 where he's like americans have to go shopping again yeah you know, mm-hmm. you you need to get everything's going to be fine. Everything's going to go back to normal. When in fact, you know mm-hmm. now, you know, in that moment, he's seen behind the kind of ideological curtain, and so it's like mask on. That's the <laughs> only way you. Su- that's the only way you survive mm-hmm. is that you pretend that everything is fine. Mm-hmm. Mm. I actually, I, I just, I just um got done writing a review of the recent Godzilla film. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, <laughs> What, well, one of the things I get into is that, like, kind of the American imaginative cultural landscape is almost totally um, unable to envision tragedy on on any scale beyond the individual. Mm-hmm. So, so when we try to imagine in in the American context what a, a truly large scale tragedy would feel like to experience, we we kind of can't, and that that isn't because those haven't happened. Mm. in america and and to to americans they, they most certainly have happened here you know everything from native american genocide through slavery um like you know 9-11 was certainly a large tragedy um all the way to like you know like a month ago when the state of nebraska flooded like you know we have large-scale tragedies but but so much of our like individualistic ideology kind of forbids us from envisioning them mm-hmm. And and we kind of see this at the end that the whole world it just got just turned upside down when these subterranean people have have decided to wage war on the surface world and it seems to be going pretty well for them. That like you know like kind of at our close we get like oh it's gonna be all right man everything's cool we're okay you and I are fine mm-hmm. we're in the car things are good. Mm-hmm. There's one and like th- oh yeah Sorry. go on oh I was just gonna add I was just gonna chip in and add something that like at the end the, I think the ending is like incredibly bleak (laughs) but Mm -hmm. it's and it's there was one kind of thing in the final few frames of the film that really brought it home which is where you see the kind of camera pulls back and follows this chain of the of the tethered Mm -hmm. across across the country and what you see floating above them is like media outlets helicopters Mm -hmm. you see you see news helicopters everywhere so even in the midst of a kind of seismic shift in how the world works in the kind of uh, struggle for a kind of visual embodiment, a publicizing of suffering, what you get is you get media spectacle. So even that, even the most kind of foundational reorientation of the world that kind of forces people to confront the systemic oppression and violence and injustice that their normality has been founded upon can just be kind of commodified into another media image. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, I mean, yeah, that's an, an interesting take on it. I guess it's it's we don't really know what happens after that, though, right? Because it's yeah. like, well, another reading would be that they're they're forming this huge chain, like they're actually forming this chain across America, and so presumably, like all of the bourgeois people who are in control of this media spectacle will. Well, potentially they could be wiped out as well, right? It seems like they are. It, it gives this glimpse of them succeeding, and but that kind of feeds into the next question I had was was uh, you know who are we supposed to sympathize with in this film? Like, is that uh, are we supposed to be cheering on the hands across America? Um, and uh, you know, going off of what Ash was talking about, that if she did know that she was this person this entire time. Um, are we supposed to think of her as someone who is just, you know, irredeemable and just totally immoral? Or are we supposed to maybe understand a, a bit about how um, about how that that, that happens, how class uh, class traders become class traders and that, you know, within this broader framework, people end up doing this. And, you know, we could say that they are immoral, but also as you said, you know, it's, it's one person kind of against the world then. So do, do we fault people? Well, I mean, I guess it's like, okay, as leftists, we do fault them. Um, but I was just thinking like, maybe that was also kind of an interesting thing that, that Jordan Peele was trying to make us think about, about, you know, can we at least understand people like that? I'm not sure what people think about that. Um, yeah, I think I'll, I'll, I'll do the bit. I'll jump right in. Um, (laughs) Uh, going going off the end of the film, I, I think um, I, I have a I have a reading that's very counter to to John's reading. This is this is the amazing horror vanguard disagreement uh, guest episode. Oh, <laughs> but um, I, I actually thought that there, there there's a lot in the ending that's kind of subtly uplifting. Mm-hmm. You know, and like like this is this is a horror movie, so obviously we're not going to end this like like holding each other and like hugging a serious <laughs> Leninist work gif. <laughs> but um. So 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 we get the we get the sequence where where the tethered have formed the hands across America, but it's real this time. It's it's not a bourgeoisie stunt mm-hmm. to to kind of placate people with a little bit of giving to make the hunger go away. It's like like this is actual serious change. Like this is this is situation's international derive on a national scale. They have fully reclaimed something from the capitalist system. Mm-hmm. And like those 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 media helicopters trying to turn it into spectacle, like like I saw that as like that's like the death rattle of the old system, mm. like that that's the like I mean like because if we if we read what happens to the Wilsons and the Tylers as being like because you know like if they've formed the Hands Across America chain, it's reasonable to suggest that that's kind of happened to everyone, mm-hmm. you know, and like society has been upended and those media helicopters are broadcasting to no one, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know, like, like that, that is, that is, that is a, a dying system using its final breath to try and make sense of the world collapsing around it before it's gone. Mm. You know, when those helicopters land, they're going to land in a crowd of the tethered, mm-hmm. you know, and like they have to land at some point. And, and I think that that kind of leads into who we should cheer for because this is a slasher movie. You know, we have more than one slasher. We we effectively have about three hundred million slashers in this film, but um, like like it fits the same model. We have the final girl. We've got like this home invasion kind of sub theme going on, and we have like this ephemeral, like like very gothic, very like like half human, half spectral slasher figures going around, and like it's not very controversial to suggest that in, in like the history of the slasher film wants us to cheer for the slasher. Hmm. 
you know, like we want to root for Michael Myers, for for Jason, for Freddy, and we want to root for the tethered. The, you know, the tethered represent a lot of like these sublimated angers and fears that we have about our class position. And that's, you know, like, because this is a movie made by people in the upper class. Jordan Peele is in the upper class, but it's made for people in the middle and lower classes. Mm-hmm. And I think it's kind of speaking to that tension through the tethered. Mm-hmm. If anyone had Ash mentions the situation as international on the horror <laughs> vanguard, bingo card. Yeah, please check that off now. <laughs> is is it okay if I if I do what I do in every single episode of Horror Vanguard and mention Mark Fisher? Yes. Yeah, I, uh, I was honestly waiting for it. I was like, this is yeah. weird. Is John has John been replaced by Tethered John? Uh, <laughs> So uh, if Ash has, uh, mentions the situation that's international <laughs> every episode, I have to talk about Mark Fisher. Um, and there's a great chapter in Fisher's book, Capitalist Realism, called What If You Held a Protest and Everybody Came? Mm. Uh, and uh, it's about the ways in which we're invited to participate in a... In a um, in like there's protests against poverty it's like who could possibly be for poverty uh-huh. you know mm-hmm. and that's that's what the original hands across america was it was the protest which everybody would go to but it's basically an a, a appealing to kind of a le- like a legalistic symbolic big other to kind of legislate away the problem rather than being involved in a kind of political struggle which is uh, as fisher points out something that necessarily has to exclude certain people it's why he was kind of skeptical of this idea of like, we are the 99%, mm. which, you know, uh, any slogan which can include people who will, who have more money than I will ever see in my entire life. Mm-hmm. But, but I'm not, I'm not on their side. I'm, you know, if they're in the 99%, maybe we need to kind of rethink what this kind of aim really is. Mm. So I don't know if I can be quite as optimistic as Ash about that ending, because I think it's, it's, but it, but what it is, is a way of, making public the complicity of the viewer right the people who are watching this so um and that's a point that fisher makes in that chapter which is that capitalism is this kind of systemic force but it depends upon our complicity Mm -hmm. so when you say like who should we sympathize with what i left doing was kind of like thinking about what is my own personal involvement you know Mm. it's not necessarily about who am i sympathetic with it's like these structures these vast tunnels under america populated by people uh you know it's like that's a really kind of interesting visual metaphor but it's like capitalism maintains itself through uh, our insertion into it on the level of desire mm-hmm. and i think that's something that's really hard and that's really challenging to disentangle uh so yeah i have done my bit you can cross off john talks about mark <laughs> fisher <laughs> yeah no i do think that's really interesting about um coming away not necessarily thinking about who we're sympathizing with but about where we kind of fit into this whole thing and how we're complicit in this um yeah i remember what i was going to say before uh when ash was talking about uh like the anxiety that the upper classes feel about what's coming i mean uh, there have been many articles recently, actually, where billionaires or CEOs or whatever will be in the news talking about how uh, they basically foresee a revolution happening and that yeah. um, they're pretty nervous about it, actually. <laughs> um, and so I, I think that was also one reason 
why at first I was I was thinking like there could be a reactionary reading of this um, also if it was if, if like people do sympathize with Adelaide and like want her and her son to get away without dying um, then uh, it's it's also kind of like just playing into that anxiety and like legitimating it and and thinking that um, you know, that kind of a thing shouldn't happen. So yeah, I, I just think that's really interesting. But I, I do like the idea of um, having that just kind of unsettle you personally and have you think about your own subjectivity instead of necessarily like what the film or like what Jordan Peele was going for exactly. Because I'm sure, as he said, the film was about duality. So I'm sure there's a, a number of meanings or a number of way you could, ways you could interpret that anyway. Yeah, I, I agree. And I think the fact that at that very, very last minute of the movie, you know, the two characters, like Adelaide and, and Red are, are switched in our minds is is like sort of like a mind fuck because I think by that point you've decided who you are going to sympathize with or at least just as like an emotional mm-hmm. viewer. Like I think I was on the side, even though like intellectually – you know, thinking about like the tethered as the oppressed makes me more in favor of the tethered, I guess. Um, you still have way more contact with Adelaide and the fact that she's like trying to fight for oh, her yeah. life. And so at the end, like I couldn't help, you know, I was happy. Like when she killed, uh, when she killed uh, Red, who wasn't actually Red, but you know, and when she's riding away in the car with her son, like I was, I was like, oh, good. Like, okay, she's safe. And then <laughs> the fact that she actually is not, the the real Adelaide, mm-hmm. he com- completely subverted that feeling of kind of of comfort or of resolution at the end, and so I, I don't think that we're supposed to. I think that's almost Jordan Peele telling us like we're not. Yeah, again, we're not really meant to sympathize with either camp, or there's mm-hmm. not a very clear. There, there's not a clear line because at the very end we're left feeling like oh well then okay actually no i I hate her wait no so the original one died i feel i'm sad you know um yeah i think that's actually brilliant brilliant though i think that's yeah no is jordan peele because it's like most people who are watching this are probably i'm actually i don't know i'm sure they're like working class or whatever but like you know like are empathizing with adelaide probably right a lot of people are probably empathizing with adelaide they're probably Mm -hmm. like it's probably triggering their fears that um that kind of thing would happen but then at the end it's like oh flipped it on you like you can't sympathize with her right and Mm -hmm. so i think that's actually brilliant (laughs) i i think that john has a different interpretation but yeah. Is John here? Yes. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Hi, John. Hi, John. Welcome. <laughs> <laughs> um yeah, I I was I was I was just going to agree really more than anything that um I I think that that makes the kind of I think what that what we've all been talking about kind of shows is that like the way in which that this is like a really rich kind of metaphoric text Mm -hmm. and there's always a sort of excess of meaning it's always going to generate new meanings as like historical and material conditions shift and as as the political situation that we're used to and our our own kind of political and class positions uh change and influence the way that we look at the world Mm -hmm. yeah absolutely um so ash you have here that you'd like to talk about uh guy Debord's idea of psychogeography if you want to, uh... 
Knew it. <laughs> we can't. We can't escape it. We can't escape it, man. Everybody, cross off. Ash talks about psychogeography. <laughs> yeah. See, secretly, secretly, the horror vanguard is is the Mark Fisher Situationist <laughs> International podcast. Mm, I'm here for it. So yeah, I, I, I just thought it was really interesting, right? That that the tethered the tethered live in kind of a, a, a totally mirrored universe to our own, mm-hmm. except except for worse. You know, like like we get we get the explanation that we're um. Um, oh my god, Gabe, Gabe, <laughs> where, where Gabe, Gabe was like a kind and loving husband that Abraham is, is, is a cruel man, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, like they live in like these dark underground labyrinthian tunnels, right? And, and that's kind of the condition that they reflect, like, you know, like they're, they're, they're kind of like these subterranean creatures almost. They're, they're like Morlocks in a way. Mm-hmm. Right. But, you know, like they also actually make the move to to change everything right everyone else in this movie is kind of content with impending climate disaster and endless foreign wars and the rest of the things that kind of come with our condition mm-hmm. and and i think part of that is is kind of like this psychogeographical concept right where like the the physical structures of the world that we live in kind of dictate our perspective mm-hmm. And the perspective of the tethered is incredibly dire, yeah. right? Like it is, it is do or die time for them, mm-hmm. and and they are imprisoned in an underground labyrinth. And for everyone else, like you know, like you've got you've got your boat. It's a little rickety compared to the other guys, but you still have a lake house, and like everything's <laughs> pretty okay. Mm-hmm. And and like you know, their their world lacks that perspective that would kind of form like that psychic urgency that the tethered have. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's like, well, at least you're not eating raw rabbits and your child's toys aren't cutting their fingers, slicing them open. <laughs> right, yeah, at least at least everything in your life isn't literally the nightmare inversion of normal stuff. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, precisely. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. Mm-hmm. All right, so the last thing that I have to bring up is uh, what do people think the significances of religion to the message? Like, we have Jeremiah eleven eleven yep. being repeated everywhere, um, which is uh, – let's just read that here. It's, therefore, thus saith the Lord, behold, I will bring evil upon them, which they shall not be able to escape. And though they shall cry unto me, I will not weaken unto them. <laughs> and I actually looked this up. Like I paused the movie to look that up and I don't actually know the context of why the Lord was saying this, but my first thought is like – this is our Lord. Like we have a we have a Lord <laughs> yes. that would say something like this. Like this is an, a legit quote from our Lord. Like why do we have a Lord that would ever say something like this? You know, <laughs> it's just uh, absurd. Anyway, that was just my kind of funny. Like, I just can't believe it. Um, but anyway, I, on top of that, we have um, this idea that uh, you know God brought them together at that fateful moment. Adelaide, or I guess Red, quote unquote, finding her faith to lead her people from misery. I uh, just wanted to to get people's reactions to uh, kind of the religious iconography here. Ash? Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I need to put on my thinking cap for this one. I think that one of the things that I kind of find interesting about like the Jeremiah eleven eleven passage in the context of this film, because I'm not... Um, like particularly well-versed in the Bible or biblical studies or anything like that. So I can't really speak to like the historic condition or even like a good textual reading. Mm-hmm. 
but um in the context of the movie right like like that is a very wrathful package or pa- passage right like that that mm-hmm. is that is that is very 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 old testament very very about to flood things kind of god and i i think it kind of it depends on you know like we were talking with earlier kind of who you sympathize with right because if you sympathize with the the surface dwelling adelaide right that pa- that passage is dark and it's horrifying Right, because that's aimed at you. But if you sympathize with with Red, and and the tethered and kind of their their uprising, then then it's a liberatory pa- passage, you know. Mm-hmm. Like then it's it's closer to a guillotine meme than it is to anything else. And so I think I think like like the functionality of that passage kind of depends on on who you want to focalize in your reading of the film. Mm-hmm. Which I guess also speaks to to Jordan Peele's intended. Uh, duality themes and like the the shifting ambiguities here yeah absolutely i, I mean and just the eleven eleven itself is like a mirror image right so mm, it's oh. like mirror duality well and remember how when she looks at the clock at one point in the movie i think when she's putting jason to bed or something he's like look mom and then she looks and it says eleven eleven. Mm-hmm. Right. yeah there's like a, a couple instances like oh really that. well i i also thought okay well maybe that's you know, since that is the last thing that Adelaide saw when going in the haunted house and she sees that as she's going in the haunted mm-hmm. house and that's sort of what sticks with her is like this passage and also this like t-shirt that she has. And so those are maybe her two main tools to design her revenge. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. I was wondering. Um, yeah. Like one, one person on Reddit pointed out, like if it, if we're reading it in terms of like the duality or whatever that, um, you know, the either the evil are the tethered who are coming for mankind, unable mm-hmm. to escape, or the evil is the pointless suffering the tethered have to endure mm-hmm. for the sake of humanity. And I guess that's also kind of like who you're sympathizing mm-hmm. with. Um, but there's also, um, you know, uh, Red, who was Adelaide, um, when she's talking about her experience down there and how she and the people around her started to see her as someone who was special and was mm. going to deliver them from from suffering and from evil, I guess, that uh, she was like, you know, God was testing me. I realized that God was testing me. And um, I, yeah, I just I haven't really quite put together like how exactly uh, Jordan Peele meant like religion to play into the message. Um, John, what are what are your thoughts on this one? Uh, I think it's really interesting, and I think I think like Jeremiah. If if you read the entire book, is an incredibly depressing read because it's full of like it's full of stuff like this. It's full of promises of like judgment and wrath, and there's nothing that you can do about it. And this is in determined by your uh, it's addressed to the to a nation. It's uh, so it's it's been determined by the actions of a nation that they've turned away from the path of righteousness and they're, they're, they're bound now for judgment mm. and destruction because that's because that's the only way there can be the possibility of, of, of change. It's a kind of like messianic uh, violence that's going to be visited upon an entire group of people because uh, of, of like systemic uh, sin in mm. biblical terms. So, so in a way, I think that's part of it. That the, there's this kind of like prophetic tradition in in a lot of Christian writing about kind of warning mm-hmm. of, of of the punishment for what you've done, uh, the consequences that would that would you would think could be hidden away being brought to the light. 
which is another key trope in kind of gothic and horror film as well. Um, also, there's the kind of long tradition of like liberation theology, and especially among mm. uh, Black Americans and the legacy of of, of slavery and the the role religion played in that as both a kind of source of liberatory rhetoric and as a justification for like horrific treatment of um mm-hmm. of slaves so i think it's i think it's another one of these things which is an incredibly rich metaphoric device that you can kind of see multiple levels of operation to. um but i don't know i don't i don't think there is i don't think there is a kind of ultimate one correct interpretation mm-hmm. yes yeah yeah thank you for that that was uh <laughs> put together a lot of uh really insightful thoughts in a very condensed <laughs> response <laughs> so yeah I, I completely agree so that's how i have does anyone have any other themes or anything that they'd like to bring up about the film well i was this is just a thought that came to me now as as i was watching the film it really made me like the whole idea of like holding hands across america and the idea that there's like these like this whole underworld of tunnels I was wondering if that was supposed to make us think of the underground railway, railroad, sorry. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Mm. And, you know, all this, all these tunnels that were built um, for slaves to escape or people in in slavery to escape from the South to the the North. Um, And it it just really, it made me think of that a lot. And yeah, I haven't really articulated my thoughts on it that much except for that the tethered you know are obviously in enslaved to some degree also and mm-hmm. yeah i i thought that too i as i was watching it i was like oh is this this could be read as like a slave revolt also right oh yeah mm-hmm. yeah no yeah. more thoughts on on it than that but <laughs> well i think we we did a pretty thorough reading of this film i don't know about what you guys think but (laughs) (laughs) yeah this was fantastic yeah this was really really fun um once again everyone check out the horror vanguard uh ash and john do you want to kind of shout out where people can find you and and all of that uh yeah absolutely you can find us uh we're both on twitter way too much we are uh terminally online people uh, but you, you can follow the podcast at Horror Vanguard. And if you enjoy the show, please listen to it on SoundCloud uh, and maybe think about chipping in a dollar or two to support us on patreon.com slash horror Vanguard. Yes, definitely do that. I will link the Patreon link and your Twitter link and, and all the rest and both of your personal Twitter links as well. I can put that in the show notes as well so everyone can get connected and just thank you so much for coming on. This was super fun. Yeah, thanks for having us. It was great to be on. It was a blast. Thank you so, so much. It was really fun. This was our first movie review, Maxi. This was our first movie also. review. <laughs> this was fun. <laughs> this was fun. We should do more. Like, that's that's an in- intense one to choose for the first one. Yeah. Right? <laughs> yeah, we just went, went for it. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, thanks, everyone, for listening. And we will see you next time. <laughs> thank you. Bye, everyone.